This episode of the Power Connect podcast is brought to you by RBN Energy, LLC. When budgets get tight, the first thing to go is consultants. And so that hit us hard, but no worse than any other oil and gas consultants out there. So 2020 and 2021 were pretty rough, but hey, $9 gas prices, $100 crude oil, the phone started ringing again. So everybody's back in the space and it's, it's a very different environment right now. Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode number eight of the show rolls along today, and we've got another great episode for you today as we're talking all things family-run business in the oil and gas renewable energy data space. One Mr. David Brazil, CEO of RBN Energy LLC, a company located right here in good old Houston, Texas. A family-owned company and David's father, Rusty, a veritable legend in the business, started the company about a decade ago, give or take, and he's got a story about how the whole company started. And of course, obviously, David will get into his background before him and his dad teamed up with the rest of the family as well. It's an absolutely phenomenal story. Almost succession-ish. No, I'm just kidding. It's not quite that dysfunctional. In fact, uh, the family does get along, which which is a great thing to see. And uh, I had a chance to meet Mr. Rusty Brazil as well over there at the company headquarters, like I said, over here in Houston, Texas, in the uh, just adjacent to the River Oaks area. So again, great conversation. We talked all things the founding of the company, a little bit about Rusty's background, obviously David's background as well, how the two came together, what it's like working for your dad, what it's like working in a family environment. We've heard the good, the bad, the ugly. And of course, while there's really not a whole lot of ugly in the Brazil family, uh, it's a very motivating, goal-oriented group. And so you're going to get that from today's conversation as well. Obviously, all things data and when it pertains to the oil and gas business, but more importantly, you know, being a consulting company as well, how they were affected by COVID. We know a lot of folks were, and of course, how they were able to, dare I say, pivot during that time. And of course, you know, as far as getting intelligence, they did just that, especially in the green space. And so they have certainly uh, added that to their arsenal of weapons over there at RBN. So, and of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the blog. That's kind of the thing that brings everything together. One of the better written blogs. I don't care what industry you're talking about, uh, the creativity, the information, and the consistency is what helps stand out for RBN and their phenomenal team. So without further ado, please welcome to the program from RBN Energy LLC, the CEO, Mr. David Brazil. So I started my career in the industry with an oil and gas producer called Apache Corporation. They call themselves APA now. Uh, It was a great place to start. I spent five years there. The interesting thing about that place is just the, not only the background of being able to learn, you know, what happens upstream, but just more about human nature at a company like that. Uh, So I started out in what's called revenue accounting. Uh, And so what you're doing in revenue is you're taking the plant allocation statements or gas pipeline allocation statements and allocating it back to the royalty owners of individual wells. And so it, it sounds relatively straightforward. You have different ownership interests and you right. divide the, the money amongst them. Well, when you're in revenue, you have to have a value for the production of a specific well. And so you rely on the valuation department to get you those values. So in revenue, you like to complain and say, hey, if these valuation guys would get me their values, my job would be a lot easier. So I said, all right, I'm gonna make the move. And so I flipped over to valuation. And I got into valuation and they receive the prices that they have to use 
from gas marketing accounting. And so I get into valuation and they say, look, my job would be really easy if these guys in gas marketing accounting would just do their job and, and do their netbacks correctly and send me the right value, but I'm having, to, I'm having to do it all for them. So of course my next move was up to gas marketing accounting. Get there and it's the same as you would expect. They, they say, oh, it's the gas marketers. A lot of finger point. Finger point. And, and it's just, you know, it kind of clued me into the fact that, you know, everybody's got their own, their own job. Everybody's working hard and they're all hopefully rowing in the same direction yeah. at the, for the same goal. So I was in gas marketing accounting. Uh, Apache Corporation started to do a ETRM implementation. So changing their back office systems. It was fun for a little bit. And then I ended up getting a pretty much unsolicited offer to go to work for Direct Energy, which is a Centrica-owned company, and spent two years there, again, working in volume balancing. And, and both at Apache and at Direct Energy, I kept working myself into these sort of technical jobs. So for, for example, at Apache, they come with these stacks and stacks of pipeline statements. And part of your job in revenue is to type them into their ETRM system. And it takes days. Real quick, what's the ETRM system? Energy Trading Risk Management. Okay. And so you get these giant stacks of statements, and you're supposed to type them in. And I, I took this job back in 2006, and I said, this is 2000. We, we don't need to be working like this anymore, guys. And I was very fortunate to have stepped into the role from a, a smart lady who had started to digitize the way that she was inputting that stuff. And so uh, me and another guy were able to take what she had started and basically flesh out the digitization process. We used an optical character recognition along with a basically data formatting, a PDF data formatting software to be able to do all this stuff really, really quickly. So I, it really made my job a lot more efficient. Um, and so then part of my job after that was to help teach other people how to do what I had done. Similar thing at Direct Energy, started off in this volume balancing role and then worked my way into sort of a, a data analytics problem solving type role. So I uh, had done that for a little while and then Direct Energy says, guess what, we're going to implement the same ETRM that Apache did. And I said, oh man, I've been through this before and it's going to be difficult and I'm not sure I'm, I want to stick around for it. So at that point, this was about 2011, I think, my dad, Rusty Brazil, had recently, who had been one of the principals at a company called Bintec Energy. So Bintec Energy sold to Platts McGraw-Hill. Okay. And when that happened, he was on a non-compete. And because he was on a non-compete, uh, he couldn't sell anything, obviously, that competed with what they did at Bintec. So he actually hired a social media consultant and that guy told him, look, you can't sell anything, but why don't you get a, give it away for free? And by the time your non-compete rolls off, you'll have people paying attention to what you're doing. You'll have more business than you know what to do with. Well, yeah. of course, he started writing the blog, got really popular really fast because it was regularly published, insightful, free, obviously helped. It never hurts. Yeah. And so and real quick, just for the folks at home, sure. what was his background prior to that? Man, part of the reason he makes such a wonderful mentor is because his background is all over the place. Yeah. So he has been in the in the Navy. He has been in him. 
God bless him. He has been in rock and roll bands, which is kind of the, the foundation of RBN. He fortunately gave up rock and roll when he realized that it wasn't going to support the family and went to work for Getty. Getty got bought by Skelly. Uh, Skelly got bought by Texaco, and I think I might have those. Skelly got bought by Getty. Getty got bought by right. Texaco. So he did natural gas trading, natural gas liquids trading, crude oil trading. When But he made that pivot from being a musician into the oil and gas business back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and it was never so much a pivot. He was never a full-time musician. He gotcha. was always okay. a part-time enthusiast. But, hey, nothing wrong with that. Not to nothing say he wasn't good. At, in right. fact, he, I feel like he actually has a couple of records, and you, you know, we, we went out and found one. It's not bad. Right. It's not bad. But as, 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 look, and you know, and, and as he knows, the music industry is not for the faint of heart. No, no. <laughs> you think all the gas business and the energy business is hard. Uh, music is a whole nother conversation. It chews people up. As a matter of fact, uh, part, of the, part of the thing that we do with every single day's blog is you'll notice at the bottom. Well, first of all, every blog is rock and roll themed. Love it. And at the bottom of every single blog, there is a, a blurb about the song that we wrote about yeah. that day. So that is done every night by one of Rusty's old bandmates, a guy named Mickey, who has basically played backup for a lot of famous bands. Okay. And, and more than that, he's just been around the industry so damn long. He right. knows Stories everybody. He knows where the skeletons are buried. <laughs> right. uh, so just a wealth of information. And we get, we get people that write us and say, look... Energy stuff is cool, but I'm really, I'm really reading for that blurb at the bottom, man. I want to know what's going on with the. With it's the fantastic. Names. It's fan, and, we'll, and we'll get to that here in a second because that was one of the things that really piqued my interest. So you've got a dad who has had this varied career, and that's one of the things that, and, and somebody who you know, uh, I've got a quite varied career myself, so I can certainly appreciate that. Starts and, and goes out on a limb, starts this blog, is doing it for free, and then did that for how long was his non compete? Two years. Oh, wow. So yeah. a two-year non-compete. Yep. So, and, and part of what it was is the blog, the reason it's got the rock and roll tie-in is because he had to have something that differentiated himself. Yes. Something where you read an RBN blog and you knew you were reading an RBN blog. Yeah. And so that's in the, not just the titles, but the tone, the yeah. length, everything about it is is very deliberate to, you know, get the best message across in a way that, you know, our industry is relatively predictable right basically bimodal in age range and it's 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 a particular type of guy and and girl that that are in the oil and gas industry and so we really cater to that and it's a lot of old rockers or people who are into music which you know who's not into music who's not into music exactly so you make this switch so your dad starts rbn as kind of a free service uh, the the non compete ends, and so did he recruit you? How was that conversation? That uh, you know, Dave, come on, join me, or Dad, did you go to him? How that how that conversation go down? So Direct Energy was doing their their ETRM implementation, and I had, you know had a couple recruiters call me to talk about other opportunities, and so I went to talk to him at lunch at a place just down the street. We always go to Nino's. And we sat down at a table and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Uh, Everybody, by the way, who is in accounting or volume balancing at an oil and gas company, they all dream of being traders, all of them. And so I I still had that dream. And obviously he traded all the commodities. So I was like, how am I going to, you know, get into this role or should I go to, should I choose a different path, go into management or something like that? And he said, well, you know the blog. And I said, yeah, I've read it. 
And he goes, well, it's going really, really well. Uh, at that point, he had, I think, three employees. He had the IT guy who was basically managing the site. He had a, a business development person working part-time. And he had a woman who was helping out with the natural gas liquids analysis. And he said, uh, but what I really need is somebody I trust, somebody with a, a finance accounting degree who can help me out with the analysis. And I fit the bill. Would you... Dave like to come join me. And I said, I mowed your lawn for the last 20 years. I know exactly what kind of boss you are. Uh, and and, and it, 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 when, when you mow the lawn, right, like if you go out and you look and, you know, if you're, if you don't have a great lawnmower, it'll miss a blade here. Be like, no, you need to, you need to go over that section again. And there, so there was never a break cut. Uh, so it, my, my initial reaction was not positive, but got time to think about it and said, you know, the, the opportunity to be able to learn from him and the opportunity to get in on basically the ground floor and grow a business, yeah. you, you can't pass something like that up. And it's been really a blessing. You know, so you had a seven, eight year work history then before you started with RBN then, correct? Mm -hmm. Give or take. So what was the relationship with your dad like professionally as far as leaning on him for, you know, mentorship or just, you know, getting feedback from him, hey, had a rough day at work, these ETRMs are driving me crazy. You know, what was that convert what were those conversations like for those first 8 years of your professional career with your pops? Fantastic. He has done so many things that we we, we are not even going to cover here today. So uh, he he formerly had a a company called Ultra which was eventually purchased by the Intercontinental Exchange. So he, and, and so it was a natural gas trading platform. He has done ETRM implementations. He's done all of that stuff. So his, he's actually got a computer science background. Okay. So whenever something would happen, and, and by the way, throughout all this stuff, I went and got my MBA over at University of Houston. Anytime I ran into uh, industry problems, I'd go and I'd talk to him yeah. and I'd say, hey, have you lived through this? And being able to listen to his, because he's very straightforward, right? No bullshit from him, right. um, which is, I think, what people value in, in our company today. Absolutely. Just that, that unvarnished truth that you get from somebody that you truly trust. And obviously, there were occasionally people who they would say, Brazil, not too many of those around. Are you perhaps related to Rusty? And then obviously, I'd have a connection right off the bat with right. those folks. So having him as a mentor has been absolutely tremendous. And it's, it's been even better as we've been working together closely for the last, gosh, 10 years now. He has insights just having been on all the various sides of the industry, yeah. how the market is supposed to work that I think if you are exclusively oil, gas, NGLs, or something like that, that, that a lot of people miss. Well, and, and two, having known that your dad had already started up companies to begin with, so it's not like, you know, he just takes it, and, and you know, kudos to your dad for taking that strategy, having the foresight to say, okay, I'm going to do this a little bit differently with RBN, taking the advice of a, of a strategist saying, look, give away your information for free, which let's call it what it is. You know, not everybody is okay with accepting that kind of advice, right? right. Like that's a big ask for a, a lifelong entrepreneur. Yeah. But for your dad to have the foresight to say, you know what, let's do it and let's build this thing from the ground up. You guys have that conversation a couple of years later, boom, next thing you know, you're starting RBN. What was kind of the, the, the ground rules or what was kind of the agreement when you two first decided to, you know, when he brought you on board? It's that this is a professional relationship. And if okay. you don't, if you don't perform, you're going to get fired. And it's, what's that like coming from your dad? 
better than the alternative. So <laughs> obviously I have to deal with the, the perceptions of nepotism and, and all you can do is sort of hit that face on, right? Say, acknowledge it. Don't try to hide the fact that I'm working for my dad or that I haven't been given tremendous opportunity because of him. Just say, look, I get to work with my dad. He's the best mentor you could possibly hope for. But at the same time, I work my ass off. So he's not cutting me any breaks. Well, and he can be a lot harder than you that he can't be on other employees. Uh, that's absolutely fact. He's, he's no hot. EOC claims with you. <laughs> uh, that, that would not go well. Uh, uh, so he, he's fired me on multiple occasions. Fortunately, he's hired me back relatively shortly thereafter. But there's always this expectation that we have aligned goals, right? It's, it's family-oriented. It's, it's growing a company that we want to be a part of. And that alignment, I mean, that, that stymies most arguments right off yeah. the bat. Because I know where he's coming from and he knows where I'm coming from. We're both looking to make this a better place. And we're both willing to do whatever it takes to make it a better place. So what is RBN? RBN is literally Rusty Brazil's network. So... RBN, in his original vision, was not intended to become what it is today. It was primarily to be a vehicle for his voice to get out into the public and basically advertise him as an expert in the industry, and he'd go and do consulting and write books and do high-profile speaking deals, and all of that kind of stuff has worked out. To become the company that we are today with the sort of readership that it's become has been a very pleasant surprise, right? It's worked out very well. So the RBN network, when he was starting out, he knew he couldn't do it all himself. He has a tremendous amount of experience, but you know he's been in trading roles and executive levels. Anytime you need to go into a specific market commodity, he needs to call somebody who knows something, who knows more about it. So for example, we did a whole lot in the early days of RBN on crude by rail not something that he had personal experience with. So we talked to folks in the crude by rail sector to get the download of what was going on. And then he would turn that into, he would, he would basically pull out all the BS, whittle down, curate the message down to something that somebody who's never heard of crude by rail, like a natural gas guy, could read and easily understand and walk away and say, okay, I feel like I know how, how crude by rail netbacks work. I feel like I know why they're doing this in the first place. So to do that, you have to have a tremendous network of people. So we've got guys, guys and women in the Permian, Cushing, Bakken, oil, gas, natural gas, liquids, exports, executives. Uh, he loves to tell stories about you know some of the guy, old guys who he used to trade against. So he used to trade against uh, Lou Pai when he was at Enron and uh, trade against Jim Teague when he was with Dow. So they all came up together. Right. So He's got those battle scars. He's got those battle scars, and he still has people that he keeps in touch with. Sure. Again, to his credit, differentiation has kind of always been kind of his calling card in some form or fashion, right. right? Pretty much the genesis and the origins of RBN. So you guys get rocking and rolling. He's got a handful of employees. He's got you on board, and so you guys are doing stuff like crude by rail. But So what exactly was the business then at that point? The business was primarily consulting. As a matter of fact, uh, so we've started the blog as a subscription service. That was a controversial idea when we first floated it around the company because folks said, well, you're, you're giving this away for free. Why would anybody ever pay for this? What we found was a lot of folks just valued the information. They valued being able to go back in time. What we found was people would come up to us and say, 
hey, uh, I've read the last four blogs in this series, and every day I print them off, and I, I punch holes in them for my boss, and I create a binder of information on the blogs that you've written so that we can go back and reference them. And we said, well, that's a business opportunity, right? So yeah. we can turn those things into reports ourselves and sell them at a premium. So that the, the consulting business is really the core of what we've always done. Okay. And it's, it's a tremendous feedback loop. So what I mean by that is we will hear what's going on. We see which way the wind is blowing. And so we cover a particular topic in the blog. And then because we're going out to such a wide audience, we'll get people who write back to us and say, hey, you missed something. Yeah. Or this is really good. I'd like to learn more about it. Or we get the consulting clients who said, you guys know about what's going on up in the scoop stack. I need you to come and help me figure out, you know, a strategic business decision and they'll hire us for a consulting deal. And then if we get two or three of those, we develop our knowledge of what's going on in that area of the world. And then we plug that, that knowledge back into the blog. blog And so it's, it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies, right? So if somebody thinks, you know, something, they'll hire you to learn it. And then you know that thing. And then you're able to build on this, this knowledge base. Very journalistically based uh, model you guys got there. I mean, it's kind of, and, and just from a, my old school days as a reporter, I mean, you become experts on a very range of topics. Right. And, and, and the way I differentiated us from anything journalistic is our, our goal is not to necessarily get news out in the most timely fashion. Right, 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 right. It's primarily to seek a detailed understanding and make that understanding right. available. And both in the, the, the blog, the subscription reports, the consulting stuff, and we do a lot of conferences, the key to all of it is making business concepts that everybody can understand. So not inundating people with industry jargon or anything like that, particularly because we do a lot of natural gas liquid stuff. And natural gas liquids guys have an acronym for everything, NGLs, LPGs. Uh, and it, no, there's a lot of jargon that you can get caught up in the minutiae and exactly. really drag and really drag things down. And that's one of the things when I saw came across y'all's blog is that you do a tremendous job of sifting through all that riffraff and minutiae and making it palatable for everyday minds. Yeah. The thing that you have to watch out for is because we never assume our audience knows a specific topic, we go through the effort of describing it anew each time we write something up. So you guys, if somebody's been reading our blogs, they will, they will have heard us tell the story of how the market got to where it is today in half a dozen blogs. Because we assume that if you're reading it, you might be coming to it for the first time, yeah. and you might not know that COVID caused demand destruction and therefore prices fell and, and so on and so forth. And so we tell that story every single time. Speaking of COVID, how was uh, how did COVID affect you and kind of how did RBN kind of maneuver through it? Well, you always hear people say that when budgets get tight, the first thing to go is consultants. And so that hit us hard, but no worse than any other oil and gas consultants out there. So 2020 and 2021 were pretty rough, but hey, $9 gas prices, $100 crude oil, the phone started ringing again. So everybody's back in the space and it's, it's a very different environment right now. So uh, the, the story I always tell is things were blowing and going in 2017, 2018. 2019, we started going to, to lunch with folks from particularly the PE funds 
and they said, hey, these, these projects that we're doing nowadays, it's the same sort of stuff. It needs to have a story about, a green story. So something we can sell to our investors that says, this is not just oil and gas. And we started hearing that from a lot of the PE guys. And, and again, this is pre-pandemic. And we started paying attention and the market started to cool off. We, we were oversupplied right. in oil, gas, and NGL. So, so prices were coming down. You had this really growing message of ESG at that time, okay. uh, environmental, social, and governance. And we thought, this is interesting. And then prices obviously crashed when, when COVID came. And normally when prices crash, you expect people to kind of, you know, get back to the fundamentals, all right? So the world's going through hell right now. We just need to supply oil and gas. But that's not what happened. Right. In, in fact, we'd say it was the calls for energy transition were amplified during that period. We had so much cheap energy. I think a lot of people just forgot the, the importance and the effort it takes to supply all of that energy. And so, you know, you had the major, the major institutional funds like pension funds, college endowments, starting to tell the, their, their investors, private equity, guys like that, hey, um, we'd far rather be involved in, in green technologies than oil and gas. And, and a lot of universities still say, don't invest my money in in anything fossil fuel related yeah. and that's billions of dollars right yeah, billions yeah. and billions and billions of dollars across a lot of different funds that adds up yeah. real real quick yeah. and so there was just this huge sucking sound of capital coming out of the oil and gas sector and basically flowing into green projects yeah. and it was a lot of the same guys who were you know management teams who were trying to develop energy projects that then made this jump over to green energy and some of them we got pretty candid conversations with where they said something to the effect of you just can't ignore the amount of money in the space right now and we don't know because and, and you've you've been around this enough man you know that some of those ideas are wacky uh, oh, but absolutely are. every wacky idea was getting funded or they had they had SPACs out there you know raising hundreds of millions of dollars and, and we had guys from, from funds saying, hey, we're going to raise a fund, and it's got this, this green investment thesis, but we're also not going to show our investors a goose egg. So if, if it comes to, if, it, if, if the rubber meets the road, we're going to do something to earn these guys' money. And it might look a little bit like traditional energy type stuff. Uh, so there was a recognition, even back then, that we might be leaning out over our skis. So how does so when you guys hear that and you start to see it coming and you know and you're exactly right I mean it, it got real wacky in 2020 and you could argue it's <laughs> the wackiness hasn't stopped. Right. So how did you pivot? What 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 was you know what did you and uh, Pops kind of in the in the, in the RBN team what did they kind of how did y'all regroup and huddle up and say okay we need to you know we need to jump on top of this? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, the intent behind energy transition no problem there right like everybody wants to have a cleaner more sustainable future absolutely uh, and and i think a lot of conversations you know people try to straw man the other side and and oil and gas in particular people are just these i got a lot of kids right there's a there's a movie one of the few movies i've watched in the past decade is something on netflix called bigfoot where this guy in a cowboy hat basically wants to blow up a forest to get to the oil underneath it and my daughter she's seven at the time she's like 
dad, is this what you do? And I'm like, no, no, we want the same things that, that everybody wants, right? We want a clean earth and we want to pass it on to our kids. But there's a practical way to get there. See, we have so much expertise in the oil and gas industry of raising capital and everything that goes along with energy production, the, the infrastructure, to the extent that you're talking about uh, carbon capture and sequestration, drilling the holes, the subsurface expertise. We have all that in the energy industry. So when, when 2020 happened and everybody was focused on this stuff, we said, all right, where, where, is, where are we getting the feedback? What's everybody asking about us? And a big part of the conversation was hydrogen. So we got a lot of companies, a lot of companies that called into us and said, hey, um, you guys at RBN know anything about hydrogen? And uh, so first of all, a personal admission, I'm a fanboy of hydrogen. Okay. I just think I just think it is a cool, elegant solution to a lot of problems. That said, it's got all sorts of business challenges, right? Yeah, I mean, we have a huge gray hydrogen, and I know I know our hydrogen people hate when you call it gray, but we have a huge traditional hydrogen industry run on uh, natural gas and steam methane reforming. But I just like the idea of it. I feel like you know something like that developed at scale. In time, and, and, that, that, and, and, and that's the million-dollar deal, right? Well, billion or trillion, however you want to call it. That's the issue, right? Is yeah. the scalability of it, and when it'll become more practical. Exactly, and, and in time, I think it could be awesome. So, to, to get back to your question, in in 2020, we said, all right, we're going to start to develop our knowledge around some of these industries that we think are emerging that hold promise. So that started with hydrogen, uh, and we have a, a brilliant guy that works here named Jason Ferguson. And he said, you know, I'm getting these calls. I've got a natural gas background. I feel like I could, I could do this. So he went out and he wrote a blog called, called Help, like the Beatles song Help, yeah. about the fundamentals of hydrogen. And it had kind of our, our, our usual RBN tone. And he said, look, we don't know a lot about hydrogen, but here's what we've been able to learn. And he explained it very straightforward. It turned into one of our best blogs of the year, but most, most widely read. And we said, wow, we've hit a nerve here. Yeah. So then he turned that into a series. Um, and he's, then he talked about the production techniques. He talked about the economics of hydrogen production and got a whole lot of readership. So he said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to expand this. I'm going to turn this into something I keep up regularly. And so he created a hydrogen report where he tracks every blue, green, pink hydrogen project in the United States and Canada and That's you know, no small feat. it's no small feat. And a, a big part of it is using that sort of, you know, practical acumen to be able to say this project's BS doesn't be a, doesn't belong on the list yet. Or this project is really good, but we've got to convert, you know, however many pounds a year or kilograms a year of hydrogen they say they're going to produce into a something that oil and gas people understand. So yeah. MMCF or, or uh, you know basically translate the green hydrogen speak into something more practical. Which is a job in and of itself. Yep. So the hydrogen report was a great way for us to get into the space, but it was probably late 2020, 2021, where we had gone through the economics of hydrogen production. We realized it's awesome, but it's going to take a while. It ain't there yet. So... By that time, people were figuring out ways, okay, how could we make it work? And then you started hearing a lot of people talk about blue hydrogen. And not just blue hydrogen, but blue ammonia, blue XYZ. Yeah. And the whole premise behind blue concepts is 
your traditional way of making things. So for hydrogen, that's again, steam, methane reforming. So your traditional way of making things, but then you capture the CO2 emission stream and you do something with that CO2. Yeah. A lot of times you just bury it, carbon capture and sequestration, or you use it in an old declining oil and gas right. field, tertiary uh, production, uh, which is uh, EOR. EOR. Yeah. So that's, that's CCUS. Yeah. And that became the topic du jour. So <laughs> it hadn't stopped. Either. It hadn't stopped either, and and for good reason. It's yeah. because it's a way to clean up the the current energy infrastructure that we already have, which everybody wants to be cleaner. But what we've seen in the last year is a wholesale shift to renewables ain't going to happen overnight, right? It's going to take a long time. So we need to be able to utilize what we have now in the cleanest way possible so that we are, you know, working in the right direction. So we didn't spend a hell of a lot of time getting to know folks who are in the the CO2 space. Now, believe it or not, EOR has been around and, and CCUS has been around for decades. Well, that's the thing, right, is that a lot of folks don't understand it. And, and, and I mean, look, you get it because you've been in the space for a while now. But, yeah, that's kind of the, you know, quote, unquote, newsflash. CCUS has this isn't a new technology. Not at all. But those guys were not paid attention to for the last 30 years. They've been in an office down the hall. And so when we called them up and say, hey, do you want to talk about hydrogen or you want to talk about uh, CO2? These guys were like... Yeah, I'm man. It, right? <laughs> this is your 15 minutes. Come on up. That's exactly right. Uh, and also, again, utilizing the network, we had a couple folks that had worked with Rusty in the past, uh, some, some brilliant folks who have just built their careers in carbon dioxide and, and hydrogen, and they were willing to teach us what they knew. We like to set our own deadlines, right? So we said we were going to do a, a conference that taught people about CO2. And that was our own impetus to say, all right, we've got to, we've got to not come into this looking naive. So yeah. we need to talk to the real folks. And that's what we did. And we've since been able to utilize that knowledge base to go into blogs and consulting and everything like that. So here we are now, 2022, um, like you alluded to at the beginning of the show, Things have, I mean, you know, for as fact finding and as formative and maybe, you know, sl you know, for, from you guys' standpoint of what you guys had to do to kind of, you know, get yourselves up to snuff at, do, during those last two years, I'd imagine that right now with, and you guys have written about it eloquently on, you know, Russia, Ukraine, you know, refining capacities, where we're at right now in the United States as far as our own oil and gas prices, this is kind of the perfect confluence of events. I got to imagine that right now, uh, you guys are as well positioned as anybody, uh, you know, when it comes to RBN and, and your offerings. Yeah, uh, it's it's really a dream come true to be able to get the message out that we feel like is a lot of the country understands. And everybody who's going to be listening to this, they all understand what's going on with oil and gas and prices and de market demand. But there's a large second segment of the population that just doesn't get it. That's it. And, and so when we see decision makers do some pretty wacky stuff, you know, talking about price controls and windfall taxes and some of the other solutions to to solve high energy prices, which look, just like the environment, it's something everybody is concerned about. Yeah. We all want to try to say, solve the same problem. We just come at the solutions to those problems from a you know in an in, in industry background, right? right. So uh, Rusty lived through the oil embargo. He saw 
the kind of market dislocations those sort of things cause. And the last thing we want to do is go down a path where, you know, enough folks are not paying attention to what's going on and bad decisions are made. Now, the industry right now, I feel like is relatively cohesive in the message that we need a balanced energy portfolio to be able to reliably supply demand. And I think that story is being told by enough of us that it's starting to get through. That simply focusing on limiting supplies, that's not going to do anything but drive up prices. And the tolerance for that is going way down. Or any, any, any sort of market regulation that puts controls on yeah. on the market that right. that are that are not natural not supply demand fundamentals driven uh, it's going to have unintended consequences so for us the opportunity is really to be a loudspeaker for that message mm. uh, and hope that the right people are reading it we'll start winding this thing down uh, number one would you you know uh, I'm a part of a, a nonprofit clean techs and, you know, clean tech, renewable energy, obviously, as you alluded to already, you know, oil and gas is, is, is moving in that direction with carbon capture, uh, sequestration, what have you. Do you feel, though, that here in the state of Texas, renewables and oil and gas have a better understanding and appreciation for each other and for working together than what's perceived outside of the state? I think we'd like to project that image enough conversation with folks on the inside has convinced me that there is as much internal argument here, maybe not as much as you'd get in like California or something like that. The renewables guys and the oil and gas guys don't necessarily get along. There's still some amount of they're the other team, right? And it's it's really, I think there's this incorrect perception from a lot of uh, industry folks that there's they're, they're going to be supplanted. Whereas on the renewable side, there's, I think, the incorrect perception that there's this wall being erected where they, didn't, they don't want to get involved in it and they just want to focus on drill, baby, drill. Yeah. And I don't think either of those perceptions are true. But even in Texas, like there's, there's still some amount of, I want my thing to succeed and I don't know if I can succeed if you do. I, I think it still gets political. It absolutely does, and I think at the end of the day, if we're being honest with ourselves, it's going to take both sides, and I think that needs to be the prevailing message is, you know, when you see a headline, and I saw one last week, you know, look, we had, what, 76,500 gigawatts of of demand, uh, you know, that broke, I mean, we've broken two demand records, right, for ERCOT in the last couple weeks, and I want to say renewables provided I want to say like 34% of something like that of the of the generation. And the the headline was renewables bail out the grid. Well, did they bail them out or did they work together with the natural gas and the other forms of generation that were already on there, right? And so yeah. when you have this continued narrative that it's us against them to your point, you know, we're when when are we going to find that synergistic mentality that look we need oil and gas. We need renewables. It's going to take both because, as you know from from you know in your in your line of work here at RBN, 
folks ain't the, the the demand in Texas isn't going down anytime soon. And right. you know, I mean, what? How many different he- five or excuse me? How many different Fortune five hundred headquarters uh, are now here in the state of Texas? Right, more than any other country, or excuse me, more than any other state in the country. Uh, I think I just saw an article this morning about a company's moving to have having their folks all move to the state of Texas. I mean, so demand's not going anywhere right. anytime soon. Everybody's going to need to get on the train at some point. Yeah. Uh, 100% agree with everything you just said. But how do we, how does the RBNs of the world and how do the power connects and how do the folks that you work with on, because you've got a very interesting role that you can, you get to deal with both sides of the, the equation. How does that message get pushed out and fight through all the riffraff? It's really fostering understanding between the two sides. Yeah. It's, it's translating, uh, what both sides do. So for a good example is like uh, natural gas prices, right? So we are exporting just a ton of natural gas. We were up at 12 BCF a day before Freeport blew up and now we're down to 10 BCF a day. Um, but there's, you know, there's a certain amount of, or a certain number of people who, who look at that and say, wow, you're just, you're driving up my costs. You're, you're sending out gas that we could be using here cheaply. And now I'm paying seven, $8, $9 an MMBTU. Um, and then you have to, I feel like our role is to step in and say, no, 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 look, this is a worldwide commodity. Uh, and there are other factors going on in the U.S. And it's really easy to point to LNG exports and say this is the single cause of the problem. But it's not the single cause of the problem. There are lots of causes of the problem. It is a lack of incremental infrastructure to be able to get natural gas out of Appalachia, for example. It's the fact that we're going, we have low natural gas storage balances. So yeah, LNG is a piece of it, but there's a lot more factors. And I think to the extent that we at RBN help get the bigger story rather than just the headlines out there and foster understanding between both sides, I think it really helps. I also think that uh, there are companies out there who are trying to genuinely make a run at doing things better. So you hear a lot of talk about um, RSG, RNG, CONG, so responsibly sourced natural gas, renewable natural gas, carbon offset natural gas, carbon offset crude oil. That's a little pricier. It is a little bit pricier, but it's a move in the right direction. It's it's companies, and I've talked to these guys. They know it's pricier. A lot of these companies are not doing this because they think they're going to make a lot of money at it. They think they need to do this to survive in the basically the next phase of the energy industry, and that's that's fantastic. That's the way it's supposed to work. The guys who are looking at carbon capture alternatives and looking at ways that they can, you know, clean up the drill sites and, you know, have safer transportation to market. It's all really healthy to the extent that there are policies in place that help encourage that sort of behavior. I mean, I think it really helps. I think anytime you're in the the punishment slap them down phase has really the the negative effect on the industry where, you know, people are, you know, it's going to cause capital to withdraw and we'll see, you know, investments be too low, like what we're seeing right now. Whereas if you're encouraging folks to work together towards a solution of cleaner energy, then we're all moving in the right direction. And I think you can make much bigger impacts that way too. So for example, I've talked about CO2 CCS a couple times, being able to capture the CO2 streams on, for example, like the Houston ship channel, that'd be a tremendous impact, you know, far more than however many billions of dollars they're going to spend on direct air capture technology or anything like that. Again, you had a 
we had a guest on recently, Jane Stricker, and she said something to the effect of, if you're not careful, you're going to have a lot of capital chasing projects that never end up going anywhere, which would be a really shame, a real shame, because there are a lot of really smart projects that we could put our money towards yeah. that would help us grow as an industry. All right, last two questions. One, and this first one's kind of a two-part question, so that's typically what I like to do. One, what is the best part and what is the biggest challenge of working for a your father in a family-owned business? <laughs> so uh, again, not just my father. I, I've got my my brothers down the hall. Okay. His wife works here. So <laughs> it's a Brazil family tradition. We we joke that nepotism is a core competency here at uh, RBN Energy. But look, we're all relatively independent people, yeah. and if we weren't at the at at the office every day, we wouldn't be talking every day. Yeah. So I have the opportunity to be around my family every single day, and we're working towards a common goal. And that that really unites us as a family, which is wonderful. And not to mention, I like these folks. Uh, (laughs) It goes a long way. Something to be said for liking your family as your coworkers as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and again, we're just all very aligned in the idea of success for the company, which you can't, especially, you know, with uh, people's expectations of work-life balances and stuff like that, wonderful for them. Uh, our goal is, I think, something greater than that. And But we're willing to make that sacrifice because we all have that same shared vision. The biggest challenges to working with the family, oh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to... It's going to Thanksgiving, and it turns into a big long work discussion. It does. It does frequently. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Uh, uh, as soon as you finish your cranberries, come on in here. Let's talk about tonight's blog. <laughs> right, right. But it's a, but, but you know. But at the same time, too, though, and and look, having worked for you know different companies, and whether you get laid off or whatever, whatever it is, I mean, there's something to be said for you know, like you said, there's a shared partnership and you guys are all striving for the same goal. And there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like I said, I couldn't ask for a better situation. Yeah. Being able to have Rusty as a mentor, being able to be in the position where we have a large audience and we're able to get audience with folks at the decision-making levels within these companies who are actually players in the oil and gas industry far better than anything I could have done in, in 20 years if I had stayed at Apache. Last thing, as we already talked about, it is a hot time for RBN right now. It's a hot time for oil and gas. It's a hot time for energy. What's kind of on uh, David Brazil's agenda and radar for the rest of 2022 and what's on RBN's agenda for the rest of 2022? There's this growing conversation about how we address current high energy prices. So a lot of our focus has been on the drivers of it and potential solutions to it. We are working specifically with a a new group at RBN called RFA, Refined Fuels Analytics, uh, with uh, a couple of very, very sharp men running it, uh, John and Robert Hours, another father-son duo, again, nepotism. Uh, <laughs> core competency. Core it's working. It's working. Uh, anyways, they are brilliant. Uh, and what they're bringing to us is the ability to look at uh, refined fuels markets and describe exactly where the inefficiency lies. Um, so we're looking to grow that. Um, and 
we think ultimately we're going to benefit from learning from them on the downstream side. They're going to be able to benefit from us learning from the upstream side, sort of the, the, the supply and demand drivers of crude oil, whereas they know all the supply and demand drivers of okay. gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, and that stuff. And for us, again, it's all about getting that message of if you can identify the inefficiencies and you can explain them so that somebody who is in a decision-making position can read it, understand it, and understand how to fix the problems that we currently see, I think that not only does a benefit for RBN, but it does a benefit for everybody. Thank you so much for that, Mr. David Brazil. You can catch all of the Power Connect podcasts over at powerconnect.net, over on Apple Podcasts, and then, of course, on Spotify as well. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. It helps with the algorithm. And you know what? I just think we do a dadgum good job as well. And I think after you heard Mr. Brazil today, I think that you would agree. Great episodes coming up on Friday. Mr. Ben Parvey, friend of the program, CEO of Ohm Grid. Do you want to get off the grid? Well, then listen to what my man, Mr. Ben Parby, has to say. Of course, he's got a great beard as well. Not that you can see it, but if you go to the website, you can check it out there as well. But Ben Parby on Friday, and then, of course, we've got some great episodes coming up next week. Uh, fellow podcaster Silas Maynard and much, much more joining the program next week. As always, go check us out. Give us a follow on LinkedIn. Fred Davis, The Power Connect. If you want to join the program, Fred at thepowerconnect.net is the email address. And, of course, like I said, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, you can find out more about business opportunities, partnering with the show, and or if you just want to be a guest, we're always looking for great stories to tell here on the Power Connect podcast. Got to thank all the listeners, all the guests, the audience. Thank you guys so much for being part of the show. This has been the Power Connect podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. I figure the I'll be 50-50